0: Good morning. Like Danielle said, uh, talk back sessions at 1115 and 1220. We'd love to see you there. Uh, We're just gonna dive really deep into some of the topics that I'm bringing up this morning. If you're unable to meet at those times because you have class, I'm gonna offer a third option for you at the end of chapel. But I would love to read to you a story from the book of 1 Kings. Uh, You don't need to turn there. Just listen to these words. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I'll come back with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. This passage comes right after Elijah has possibly the greatest victory spiritually in the Old Testament. He called all Israel to Mount Carmel and he called down fire from God in the midst of everybody and people turned back to God. I mean, he's taken the the mantle of prophetic authority further than anybody in Israel has ever done. But right after that victory, Elijah's life gets threatened. So Elijah runs to Mount Sinai. And when he gets to Mount Sinai, he has this conversation with God where he's like, God, I've taken this thing, this prophetic leadership, further than anybody else has. But your people still aren't listening. They still want to kill me. And God says, Elijah, you're not going to finish the mission I've given you.
1: There are three people that are going to finish this for you.
0: God gives him the names of those three people. And this passage is where Elijah goes and finds the most important of those three people. Elisha. The whole passage I just read to you hinges on a single gesture, okay? That's all I'm going to talk to you about this morning is one gesture that Elijah does to Elisha, and we get all these hints in this passage that this gesture is extremely important. When Elisha finds Elisha, he says, he takes his cloak and he throws it around Elisha. Now, there's two reasons we know this is really significant. One reason is because the Bible says that after he throws the cloak, Elijah keeps walking. He did not even speak to Elisha, didn't even say anything to him. That gesture carried words. The gesture enough meant something. The second reason we know it's important is Elisha's response is to run back up to Elijah and go, wait, wait, wait. Let me just kiss my father and mother goodbye and then I will follow you.
1: This gesture means something incredibly significant. In the Old Testament,
0: Prophets were often known for the cloaks they wore. People would sometimes see Elijah, the prophet, walking around, and they actually recognized him because he was wearing a cloak. When John the Baptist comes around, people go, wait a second, this guy wears a cloak Kind of like Elijah and, and many powerful prophets like Moses in the Old Testament actually had an object that symbolized their miraculous power. For Moses, it was his staff. For Elijah, it was his cloak. There are literally times in the Bible where Elijah will take his cloak and he'll strike something. He'll do something with it. And there's so much power attached to the cloak, a miracle happens. You can also translate the word cloak as mantle Elijah taking his cloak and throwing it around Elijah Elisha is him saying do you want to
1: bear this mantle do you want to take this anointing this authority that God has placed
0: on my life and can i place it on you And from that very moment, Elisha is faced with this decision. Is he going to do what his family has always expected him to do, what the culture around him expects, or is he going to take a completely different path and learn to bear this mantle?
1: He begins to learn very quickly, this is a cloak with a cost. Six years pass. We don't hear of Elisha
0: again for six years. There's a six year gap. The next time you even see Elisha show up in the Bible, it's when Elijah is leaving, it's when he's being taken up to heaven. So you and I could ask wait a second, what's going on? What happens for the next six years? Well, this passage ends by saying Elisha set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant. So when Elijah would walk somewhere, Elisha was right there with him. He spends the next six years with this guy. And I wonder if the reason is because it takes time to bear that kind of a mantle. I mean, when Elisha first began to put on the prophetic authority of Elijah, it probably felt overwhelming. It probably was unbearable. I mean, you and I have this tendency to look at people who are anointed and who God is using for ministry and go, wow, that's really cool. But do you realize that person takes time to cultivate that?
1: It's hard. That cloak is not free.
0: Six years where he does no miracle, is not an influential person. All he's learning to do is bear the mantle.
1: I stood right about there, and this is kind of funny to me. It
0: was actually about four years ago, almost to the day. Stood right there, I was getting ready to preach a sermon as a student body chaplain here in this chapel. And I was in here, there's nobody in the room. I was just praying, working on this sermon, and I'm sitting here, and I feel like God poses to me a question. This question became very important in my life. God said, Garrett, do you want to be an impressive preacher, or do you want to be an anointed preacher?
1: Probably the first time in my life I recognized those two paths might not be the same thing.
0: What if I were to tell you that God is asking you a very similar question? Do you want an impressive life? If you have an impressive life, it means you'll probably be successful. People will probably like you. Uh, Things will probably go well for you. But if you choose an anointed life, the path is different. When you choose an anointed life, this is what happens. You walk in places and people go, what is different? What is different? Let me say this. You will walk into places where Christians are, believers are, and they will say, something's different about you because you've submitted your life to a cloak, to a mantle they have not submitted
1: themselves to. That's the difference, but it is a cloak with a cost. So how do you get the cloak?
0: There's this really obscure passage of scripture that I like a lot. It's the last prophecy of the Old Testament. It's by the prophet Malachi. And Malachi makes this kind of weird statement where he says, look, there's going to come a day where the hearts of the parents of the fathers turn to their children. And the hearts of their children turn back to their fathers. What Malachi is saying is there's going to come this day in the kingdom of God where for things to be like God wants them to be, you're going to have to have the older generation that passes something to the younger generation. The younger generation is going to have to say, look, I know I have passion. I know I have excitement, but that's not enough. I need anointing. I love Indiana Wesleyan. I love this school. I love that so many of you guys are passionate and you're excited. My question for you this morning is, are you anointed? Because your passion will not change the world. Your excitement will not change the world. Good luck. There's already lots of
1: that out there. Anointing will change the world. You want this? You've got to find somebody from the older generation who bears this. You've got to find an Elijah. I'm going to be real with you. It's
0: not going to be fast. It's not going to be easy. It will take years.
1: But that's where the cloak comes from. One of my favorite stories comes from Eugene Peterson. He's
0: reflecting on the story of Moby Dick. And if you're familiar with that story, there's basically this, this angry captain of this sea vessel, Captain Abraham. And all Captain Abraham wants is to kill this whale. He's just angry, he's just very vengeful. He just, all he wants is that. So there's this one day when their sea vessel sights the whale. They see this object, this thing they're going after, and Captain Abraham's like, We're going for it. So, all these men pile into this little whaling boat and they start rowing. And and the scene that is described is very intense. It's like every single man in the boat is rowing, they are pulling, they're using every muscle possible. Sweat's pouring down their face, they're just going.
1: Captain Abraham's like, Harder, let's go, let's go. Rowing, they're getting closer to this vessel, and they're getting closer to this whale, and closer to this whale. And you're like feeling the tension of this passage.
0: And Eugene Peterson pauses and says, There's one person in the boat who's not moving. There's one person in the boat that is, everybody else is rowing, everybody's taking this vessel forward. There's one guy who's sitting in the front of the boat and he's not working at all. And in his right hand, he holds a harpoon. And the reason that everybody else can work really hard while this guy rests is because the whole team knows if we're going to kill this whale, one of us has to be fully rested for this task. One person cannot spend their energy on rowing to get there. One guy's got to sit completely still, be really secure in his role on the team, and wait for the moment. And when the moment comes, he's got to throw this harpoon so hard. Sometimes to achieve something great, somebody has to sacrifice other things. To be the harpooner, you have to not be the rower. I want you to think about this. Think about the things that Elisha had to say no to in order to be this prophet. Most people think that Elisha was from a really wealthy family because only a wealthy family could afford to run 12 yoke of oxen in a field. That's pretty wealthy. He said no to wealth. He said no to his community. I don't know if you caught this, but in the passage, he actually sacrificed an animal. Like, there's physical
1: sacrifice involved. Okay? Listen to this. This is huge. I do not want you to miss this. This is not a sermon on repentance.
0: This is not a sermon that says stop doing bad things so you can do good things. This is about saying sometimes you say
1: no to good things to wear a mantle. Because somebody's got to be the harpooner. I wanna read to you how
0: Elijah's cloak first came about. This happens in the scene right before the interaction of Elisha and Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there came a gentle whisper.
1: When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak
0: over his face and went out to stand in the presence of the Lord. The scene is that Elijah is going to the place in Israel where everybody knows you can meet with God. This is where Moses went. Literally, Elijah is walking in Moses' steps. Some people even think the exact cave that Elijah was in was where Moses was when he saw God face to face. So he goes to this moment, and the presence of God is so real, he has to take his cloak
1: and literally shield his face to not see God. The cloak comes from an intimate encounter with the Lord.
0: Okay, so let's be real. If you're here this morning and you say, Garrett, how do I get that? First, you've got to find an Elijah. You've got to find somebody who bears an anointing and sit under them and learn from them. But then beyond that, you need to receive the same command that God gave Elijah. Go stand in the presence of the Lord. Go stand in God's presence. And as you stand there, I sure hope you have happened what happened to Elijah. Because he had to wait. But did you hear what happened when he was waiting? He's waiting and there's an earthquake. He's waiting and there's a fire. He's waiting and there's all this stuff that happens, this wind. And as he's waiting, he's reminded of the hugeness of the God whom he serves. He's reminded that these things of earth and fire and wind, they're just servants of God. And he had to get this picture of God that was so much bigger than his calling in order to achieve his calling. You need the mantle. You also need a huge picture of God. The anointing is not enough by itself. You need to go back to that mountain and spend time with the Lord and have him remind you of how big he is.
1: And the hugeness of the God you serve, that's what you need to change the world. The theme for chapel has been God's will.
0: And I can tell you I have no idea what God's will is for your
1: life individually. No idea where specifically he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. I can tell you this.
0: If you want to walk in the will of God, you're going to need a mantle of anointing. and you're going to need a picture of your God that is way bigger than
1: the task he's called you to do. If your calling
0: doesn't require a picture of God that's that big, I would question if you're really doing something of value for the kingdom of God. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. I want to tell you a secret. You might be surprised to find something out. Elijah never anointed those three guys that God told him were going to succeed him. He only found one. Elisha was the only guy he made it to. So this has been my prayer for this specific chapel ever since we planned this. God, may there be one person in the room today that would take on that mantle. May there just be one. I'm not looking for three. I'm not looking for 40. I'm looking for one. May there be one student that is so serious about this that they would say, I'll I'll pay the cost for that cloak. I'll find an Elijah and I will go and stand in the presence of God until he meets me. So would you do this, would you stand up with me? The worship team's gonna come out and lead us in a final song, and all I wanna have you do is just enjoy this song and just sing it back to the Lord. Whatever you need to talk to God about, whatever you need to say. But specifically, we're not doing a a specific response time necessarily because this is not something you get in a moment. You don't come to an altar and you've got it. This takes years. This takes time. That's why I want to invite you to the talkback session because up there in the second level of the chapel auditorium for this talk back, we're going to really dive into how do you stand in the presence of God, you as a college student. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your calling on our lives. I thank you that you're not calling us to mediocre things, but to huge things, things that require a mantle. So God, I ask that if Elisha is in this room, they would know it right now. God, that they would just sense that heaviness, that resting of your presence saying, I am calling you to a unique task. I pray in Jesus' name, you'd raise up people on this campus that are willing to pay that cost and sacrifice. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your anointing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.